On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. AKA Menas, and I have two special guests for today's show. Joining me are two of my favourite panellists from the Australian Cricket Podcast, my former podcast. I have freelance cricket journalist Gav Joshi. How are you, Gav? I'm well. Thanks for calling me a former uh, panellist. I mean, I know I haven't been there, but you've walked past me throughout the summer. You've never asked me because you've been brushing shoulders and getting all the high profile. You've forgotten me, Menas. Gav, how could I forget you, especially the day I saw you conducting the toss at the SCG for a women's big bash game? I've never seen a happier (laughs) little Vegemite than that day at the SCG, doing the toss in the commentary box. Was that a highlight of the summer for you? Uh, Right up there, yes, absolutely. I'm walking out to the hallowed turf of the SCG, tossing a coin with the lovely ladies stand and the members pavilion behind you. Yeah, absolute thrill. And doing it with... You know, Elise Perry and Alex Blackwell, two of the superstars of the game as well. Well done, Gavin. You've been over in New Zealand for the Under-19 World Cup, so we're going to get some of the latest action from you a bit later on. And the other panellist is special guest and cricket analyst, Paul Dennett. How are you, Paul? I'm good, Manners. I'm normally not very good at this time of year because the last game of the summer has been broadcast on Channel 9. And normally that's a sign for me to sink into a bit of depression, but... The, you know, the Tri-Series is continuing in New Zealand. Australia's got a good side for a change. I think we, we're, we're going to win the World Cup in 2019 and win the World T20 in um, 2020. I think we've come good. And then we're going to South Africa, and I think we'll win that as well. So I'm very happy and upbeat about the cricket. Excellent. And how have you been this summer? You've been doing a lot of sort of stats analysis. I mean, how have you enjoyed that? It's been great. Some of the statistics that are available these days are unbelievable. I still love the old-fashioned ones, batting average and, 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 and the like, but it's, a, it's quite a sophisticated world these days. Quick question to you. Mm-hmm. Are we looking too much into stats? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think that you can sometimes make uh, arguments that aren't justified by the stats, but as long as you treat them with respect then and, and treat them with some, some level of uh, skill, and I think that the more stats in the game are probably for the better. Well, you can certainly see in T20 cricket, Stats are playing more and more of an important role in all aspects of captaincy, uh, the list management. So I think especially T20 cricket is a perfect form of the game for stats analysis. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think you touched on it. T20 test cricket's a little bit different. Um, It's about working out how to get someone out in terms of a bowler's perspective and from a batter's perspective how you can get on top of, of a particular pl- plan and opposition's trying to get you out with. Like Steve Smith's probably a classic example in Brisbane uh, and possibly most of the summer. Uh, but yeah, like T20 cricket, we've seen a lot of uh, great people come on this show as well. Trent Woodhill, um, who are so focused around those statistics and which overs and, and the long part of the ground. Long part of the game, yeah, ab- absolutely. So all those, um, I think Paul's touched on it perfectly. Now we've got a massive podcast for you this week. We're going to look at Australia's successful T20 side. I'm going to get Gav's rising stars from the Under-19 World Cup. We've got a commentary critique where we're going to look at the whole sort of cricket coverage over the summer. Am I on that? Uh, especially the critique bit. Um, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've got some cricket headlines and then we're going to finish the show with a bit of a chat about the AB medal and can't let it go. Let's start with the T20 Tri-Series. Australia have won their first three games and are now into the final of this Tri-Series. Since the last podcast, they've beaten England twice. Great start for the Australians. I wanted to ask you both, what do you think of this change now of picking the Big Bash stars in the Australian T20 side? Well, it reflects at the moment still the low priority that Australia put on international T20 cricket because... 
they're not doing it as a, a policy. They're doing it because they're putting our test players into cotton wool ahead of the, the South Africa series, which I think is the right thing to do. And I think it was the right thing to do last summer to prioritise the India test series. But I think now's the time to stop doing that after this and say the rest of the world really cares about international T20 cricket, even though a lot of Australian fans don't. They're talking about T20, World T20s as though they are World Cups. We've got a proud record in the real World Cup. Let's try to start to get that record going in the, in the World T20. We've got a golden opportunity in October 2020 with our um, hosting the tournament. So let's make sure that we have the best players available to select from going forward. What do you think, though, about this Australian T20 side we're picking at the moment? How many of the test players would actually break into the side and, and knock some of these guys out? So obviously Steve Smith would come into our best T20 side, but, but who else? Oh, or does he? Um, That's a good question, does I he? mean, look, I, I, I honestly think we can't put David Warner and Steve Smith in the same team. It might sound outrageous, uh, but this is where it's planning for the future. We have to earmark one of them to be the leader, as, as Paul alluded to, in 2020 World Cup. It could be David Warner. We've seen teams do it all around the world, right? And this is where bringing in Ricky Ponting has made a big difference, I feel. His communication with CA saying, we can't keep going down the path that we have been in, in the last sort of 12 or 24 months. And it, that's why Australia's record at T20, well, we never won the T20 World Cup, and that's probably the reason why. Um I think that's that's right. I think we need to pick the selected bunch of players. Mitchell Stark's probably the only walk-in I, I see. Uh, Josh Hadesville, Pat Cummings, I'm not sure. Uh, I think we've got a terrific, like someone like Andrew Ty, Kane Richardson. These guys are dedicated T20 specialists. And what I mean by that is they have all those variety in terms of their, the knuckleball. Interesting talk to David Saker just around the India series last year in October and November where we got trounced 4-1. And when I asked him, why don't our bowlers have that? And he said, well, I don't think they played so much T20 cricket to develop that ball. While someone like Andrew Tai, who's been doing it throughout his well, career, you can say that, he has those deliveries. While some of the Indian bowlers, all three of them, including a part-timer, had that ball. So it's learning these skills. So is it about getting these specialist yeah. players, Chris Lynn, specialist big yep. hitter, Darcy Short, specialist big hitter. Yeah. You and, know, and, and you, you even say Stark would probably come back in, and he probably would, but you, you make a good case that Hazelwood and Cummins are length bowlers. Yep. Maybe that's not the way forward in T20 T20 cricket. It, it, look, that, that might work for the 2020 World Cup where we probably want players to actually hit the deck and, and get the ball to jump a little bit. I would just have but to... But if they're not practicing, well, well, that's, that's the problem. Yeah, that's why and, they've, got to, they've got to give those guys a go because I agree with you, Gav. At the moment, I'd have some of the, the, the T20 specialists ahead of Cummins and Hazelwood, but give them an opportunity to play for Australia and let's see what happens. As far as if I was picking the side, if the T- World T20 final was tomorrow and I had everyone available, the first three batters that I'm going to pick... Uh, Short, Lynn and Maxwell. But I'm still going to find yeah. room in the side for Warner and Smith. I think that Warner's been a little bit out of form, but I still think that he's still one of the best T20 players in the world. Smith, I don't think he's... He's not quite the power hitter of some, as some of them, but he's not far behind. I remember one of the, the first T20 game of the, of the IPL last season where he got 80 off 50 to get his side to win. They needed nine off three, hit two sixes. But I think what he needs to be is sort of a floating position in the batting order. Yeah. If he's nominated to come in at number four and we're two for 10, then he comes in. But if we're two for 80 off eight, then bring in the power hitters. And I think a good example of that, we haven't seen Joe Root play in the T20 tournament here, but Joe Root's a good example of that. And we saw that even during the one-day format, how England have based a bunch of power hitters and there's Joe Root at number four. Mm. And I think Steve Smith's similar to that. I think you hit the nail on the head. I've been tweeting about it a lot that Glenn Maxwell has to bat at number three for me because... You've seen him mishit a couple, and that, that happens to all. But when you've got a number three who mishits one in the air, like chances are he's going to be batting in the first six overs. It goes over the top. It goes over the top, and he lives on. But when he's batting, at sort of comes in at seventh or eighth or ninth over. Those mishits go to the fielders. It's a good point. I think, yeah, I'd even have Maxwell right up the top. I'd quite happy yeah, to have him I, opening. I, um, I, just with those six overs, you've got to take take absolute advantage of them. There's no one better suited to do that than than Maxwell. I also think that our T20 side should be the basis for our 50-over side and not um, not the other way around. I think that the T20 side, as you said, Ponting coming on board is excellent, and I think they should be the blueprint for what our 50-over side should, should be doing and how they should be selected. Yeah, I agree. But what do you two 
think about now giving Warner the captaincy of the T20 side and build up now. He's got two years to build the side and really try and find our best combinations with Warner at the top. No, I don't agree with, with doing that because I think that it would de- it would be unfair to Smith. I think Smith would would be absolutely devastated by that. It would the upside is you know, I don't think he's necessarily any better a captain than, than than Smith. I think he thinks about the game well, but it would be a kick in the guts to Smith, and I think it would destabilise the team unnecessarily. Maybe after the the World T Twenty in in two thousand and twenty, we could look for something different to give Smith a bit of a break. But I think at the moment, Smith Smith should still be the captain. Well, but he was I... so Smith was so washed out at the end of this summer. Yep, he's playing the IPL when he could be resting. Maybe it's a bit like you know Joe Root, who's not the captain of the White ball formats for England that you know nowadays with the media demands and all the yep. pressure on the captain it's not a, so much about ability but it's just about you know lightening Smith's load there's two different points that you can look at I mean just the way our summer is structured we always get t20 cricket at the back end of a long summer and chances are if we continue that trend Steve Smith is going to be jaded Right, so if we're going to go down that panel, I think David Warner is a nice, refreshing change. I think, to be honest, in T20 cricket, he's a better captain. Um, I think he is a little bit more attacking, as, as crazy as that sounds in the T20 game. We saw a couple of examples of that where I'm not sure who the England batter was. He chipped it over mid-off, and everyone was saying, that's the hitting zone for that batter. Why would you keep it up? He persisted with having a mid-off in and got the batter out. That's David Warner. I've seen him enough in the IPL for the last three years. Spoken to a lot of players who play under him, and they just feel David Warner's always like, you bolt your strength, and I'll help you out. Where I think Steve Smith's a little bit different to that. Let's look into how we can save runs. Um, and that's also having spoke to a lot of players that, you know, Steve Smith had captained last year at, at, at Pune uh, in the IPL too. So I think they're different. I think it's a fresh idea. And I, I reckon David Warner is the right person to lead Australia ahead if he's part of that team, which I think he should be. Yeah, I agree. And I think, well, Smith will be captaining the Royals this IPL yep, yep. and Warner captaining Hyderabad. Yep, so that's right. We'll see them going head to head in the IPL. Yeah, it'd be good. And I think that hopefully we are going to start having the uh, international T20s at the start of the summer because the World T20 is in October in 2020. So we'd be uh, missing a big opportunity to get our own players accustomed to playing T20 cricket at that time if we didn't start to do that. And I think next summer we are going to start mm. having the short-form cricket Africa, a bit earlier. Yeah. So this tri-series continues in New Zealand at the end of this week. We're already in the final, Australia, so really they just um, now play those two games away. Yeah, I'm backing England to get there. I think they'll you beat... You think England will make the final yeah, ahead absolutely. of New Zealand? I, I think they'll beat New Zealand. I, Kane Williamson's in a bit of doubt as well. I just don't think New Zealand's as good as team. I mean, England, I mean, they've really missed Owen Morgan. They missed him in Melbourne. They've missed him... But um, wouldn't England need to be, beat New Zealand twice now? Or? Yeah, I reckon they're more than capable. I, I, I think they're a better team. Mm. Whether they're... Probably feeling the effects of a long tour as well. Um, not many of them have been part of the setup. But then, of, then they stay from, in New Zealand for another. Yeah, like David Malone's the only guy who's probably been here. I mean, Mark Wood was here with the Alliance tour as well, so maybe that's affecting them as well. But I rate England. I think they're a very good T Twenty team as well. They've been here for a long time. Owen Morgan not playing is a was a big loss for them. Uh, and let, I mean the Hobart game. As convincingly as we won it, I mean, if they hold on to that catch by Maxwell, they could end up even defending 155 odd. I mean, it's hard with T20 cricket because, as you say, the games fluctuate on on a dime. But I think that New Zealand deserve to be favourites because they are playing at home and they do have that extra game in hand. And they're a pretty good side. I watched them. I've watched a fair bit of them this summer. And until they uh, they lost the second and third games of a, of a series against Pakistan. Till that, they'd been pretty dominant, admittedly only against the West Indies, but they, uh, they've they got some pretty powerful players with Colin Munro at the top and Guptill and, and de Grandom. I think, that, I, I think that they are more likely to get in the finals than England. I'm looking forward to just watching the games because I know in New Zealand you've got those tiny little grounds so we could get some massive scores. And, yeah, but know, they're I'm not looking the at flattest Austra- pitches. I'm just looking at Australia's batting lineup: Lynn, Maxwell, Stoinis, Warner... Short, Finch. I mean, balls are going to be disappearing to all parts of New but Zealand. It's also the other way where in New Zealand, because of the small grounds, you can use the pace to your advantage. And that's where we talk about these dedicated T20 bowlers where 
You wouldn't want to be f- like with Hazelwood, Cummins, and Stark bowling all that 145. I will be bowling every knuckleball. Knuckleball, exactly. So that's where, again, we've seen Australia really catch up the rest of the world, at least in three, might have been three or four games, but they're heading in the right direction. I'm interested to see how Agar goes in New Zealand because I think he is clearly our number one short form bowler now. I think that Zampa's time has, has passed him by. So I hope Agar does well over there in New Zealand. Yeah, which is interesting because the modern day trend is to have a leg spinner. I mean, we saw it in, we see it in the IPL. We see it in, even in the Big Bash. Like the most successful spinners have been wrist spinners, and it's interesting how you know you say how Agar's really caught up, and he really knows how to bowl. Uh, we almost bowls that back of the length and ensures that the batters can't advance to him, and if they go back, it's hard to pull him because of his pace. So he's learned how to bowl that classic t20 length but like i said new zealand pitches a little bit slower um so it'll be interesting to see what he does well new zealand have ish Sodi in there who's the number one ranked bowler i think in world t20 cricket and he's a leg spinner i think zampa is just he's just not quite good enough um to 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 really threaten he's not not accurate enough doesn't turn it enough he's a, he's a decent bowler but some of these other indians are genuine wicket-taking options all the time yeah and and that's probably evident that nobody picked up um, Adam Zampa in the IPL auction when a couple of years ago he picked up about 20 wickets in about six games. So that's probably a fact that he's been worked out. Well, the Tri-Series concludes in New Zealand in the next week. And uh, keep your eye on that one. I think it'll be covered on pay television in Australia. Now, staying in New Zealand, people... Our one and only Gav Joshi, you were in New Zealand for the Under-19 World Cup. You saw Australia get defeated in the final by a rampant Indian side. They looked unbelievable, that Indian Under-19 side. But we're here to talk about the Aussies. You you know, everyone's talking about Lloyd Pope and Jason Sanger. Are there any players from that Aussie Under-19 side that you really think we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I mean, Jack Edwards is, looks really promising at the top. Uh, is that Mickey Edwards' brother? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he's quite a character. He looks good. He looks compact. He Batsman? Can, yeah, batter. He opens the batting. Uh, uh, plays for up in Manly in northern suburbs. Uh, first grade, uh, coached by former New South Wales player Sean Bradstreet. You, the old old names, one of you might remember him. But, uh, yeah, looks looks a good talent. He's about six foot five, uh, predominantly a leg side player. But he looks good. There's still a long way to go. He's only 18 years of age. He looks quite... I actually like the look of Paran Uppal, who batted at number five. Uh, I think he genuinely looked like a number three in that team. And there's a couple of pace bowlers. We probably didn't have our bowling unit that was at 100% fitness or at their peak. I think there's a bit of talent there. Nothing that really caught my eye. Uh, Will Sutherland's up there. I, I think he's still a long way away from being a finished product. So, what about the Pope? The Pope's good. I mean, the Pope turned it on against England, mind you. But um, as we saw, you, to be a good bowler, you've got to be doing it against the best players of spin. And World Cup final, I think his figures were about 3 for 40-odd against India. So until That's you pretty good. 3 for 40. Three overs going for 40 oh, runs. Three overs for 40 runs. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... He's, he's still got a long, long way to that go. That actually was mentioned after his eight for against England that the, a lot of the English batsmen in that under-19 side wouldn't have faced quality spin, which is how he was able to run through them. Yeah, absolutely. So still a long way to go. I mean, as you mentioned, some of these, with New South Wales going as the as they are at the moment, like we talked about likes of Nick Maddinson, sort of Daniel Hughes has sort of come on, but he's still 28, 29. Is it time to throw likes of Jason Sanger into this New South Wales 11 at the back end of the year to see what what they can show? Um, It's great to do it. I think they should. Um, It'll be interesting to see if the New South Wales selectors go down that path. They've got two games at the SCG coming up, one starting, I think, on uh, Friday and one on for following week. So um, maybe look out for someone like Jason Sanger getting a go in that 11. Well, interesting stuff. Something to keep an eye on. We might hear a few of those names playing first-class cricket and maybe for Australia one day. I think those photos of the 2010 World Cup with the very young Mitch Marsh and Josh Hazelwood playing for Australia back then. And to see them now. So, yep, that's what the future holds for those young under-19 players. All right, we're going to take a quick break And we're going to be back with the commentary critique segment. Uh, In the break, I'm going to play one of the best 
gaffed by a cricket commentator in the last couple of years was Brendan Julian in the West Indies. And the check and the trophy for the Sewag Foral Trophy has been retained by Australia. And the check and the trophy for the Sewag Trophy. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Manners, Paul and Gav here, and it is now time for the summer commentary critique segment. I haven't had as much time to get the commentary critique into the show over summer because so many guests and interviews and having to be nice to people, but... Well, the summer's over and I thought it was a good time. I've got some old friends here to look back at some of the coverage right throughout the summer, and I guess... The, the real underlying storyline is that the TV rights negotiations are going to begin very soon. And we don't really know who will cover cricket next year. Could be Channel 9, could be Channel 10, could be one, could be the other. It's just very uncertain. Yeah, and I think that as long as they make sure that the Big Bash is available on free-to-air TV then I'm going to be fairly comfortable in, in however it all washes up. What about test cricket, though, if that were to go behind a paywall? I don't think it can. It's still on the anti-siphoning list. Good. Yep. So it, it would be quite possible, I think, that maybe Foxtel could simulcast some of the cricket, whether it's the Big Bash or even some of the international cricket. And they do that with other sports where they market themselves by saying, OK, you're going to get it in uh, crystal clear HD. I know that Channel 9 is HD now, but a lot of people have to sort of flick it around to get to that. And we'll have no ads and we might brand, you know, brand the coverage differently. So that might mean that it would kind of it would work for both uh, Fox till they get some extra summer content. And it works for, you know, as far as the anti-siphoning is concerned. But what I would hate, and I'm sure this isn't going to happen, but just in case, it would be a real disaster if, if Optus or someone, uh, you know, offered Cricket Australia an absolute squillion to, to put some of the Big Bash onto a sort of a, a telco platform and that, that mm. you couldn't watch it casually. That would be really disappointing. I'm sure they're not going to do that. Nothing against Optus, but I think that we need it available on free-to-air and, and lose a bit of money if needs be. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, what's what's the number one goal? It have to be Big Bash Cricket. Channel 10's the one. Channel 9, what do they do? I think they need to mix it up a little bit. I think we're with five broadcasting, on uh, five radio stations broadcasting this time around. I think that's another area that I think not only needs to, I wouldn't say it needs to improve, but I think five's way too many. I mean, yes, BBC have been out here, but I think they almost need to merge that and create two or three. Uh, Menas, you wrote a fantastic article. Thank uh, you. Uh, when was it? In November? Yeah. November, December. That was good, highlighting a each... A few people have stopped taking my calls since that article. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, on how different radio stations are catering for a particular brand of audience, uh, audience. I think that's really good as well. Uh, and I think they need to move down that channel. Whether they do that through television as well, as uh, Paul sort of pointed out, maybe Channel 9 remains for your average uh, sort of person, while you know Foxtel might take over and become that sort of analyst or different kind of role for your pay TV guys. A little bit what happens in the NRL. Where channel, Mix it up. Yeah, le- Channel 9's a little bit more sort of to the average person. While Foxtel goes into it. to the real cricket fanatics. Yeah, like me. What'll be interesting is if Channel 9 really do say, right, we want the lot. And one of the ways they could potentially leverage that is to say to Cricket Australia, we're not going to bid for the international rights only. We're bidding for everything or or nothing. nothing. And if Channel 10 aren't all that keen on getting the internationals, that's when Cricket Australia might think, well, we're going to have to give it to to Channel 9. Channel 9 will say, we'll have a. you know, I'm sure they'd then poach Ricky Ponding and Adam Gilchrist and kind of make it a Channel 10 style of coverage for the Big Bash. Mm. And most people hearing that think, oh, no, we don't want Channel 9 to get it. Channel 10 do such a good job. Yeah. However, as a cricket fan, I have to say that given that Channel 9 always gets higher ratings, it would mean that the Big Bash would be watched by more people than ever before. So it's not all bad. I- Although for Channel 9, I think geez, do they really want to have wall-to-wall cricket all summer? They would really alienate non-cricket fans. I, I, I like that idea, how you mentioned it. And almost to have a dedicated different commentary teams. As, I'm sure as they we've, would. As we've seen it. I mean, we've got T20 cricket specialists, T20 cr- commentator specialists. I mean, say, in another five years, if you've got someone like Chris Lynn, you don't want him to commentate on test cricket. You want him, though, however, commentating on T20 cricket. And Ricky Ponting's a classic example. I heard him during you know, the test series on BT Sport. And he, he knows nothing about test cricket. <laughs> and he just wasn't the same. It was just like, give us 
the Ricky pointing that we're here on Channel 10. He got rave reviews. You know, everyone on Twitter was saying that, uh, all the people in England watching were saying that Ricky Ponting was the highlight of the BT broadcast. How many people watched it in England? About 10? No, but I mean, it's, it was the broadcast <laughs> to England. Like it's, um, <laughs> all right. Let's get like... into the summer commentary critique before this argument spirals out of control. All right, I want to, let's start with the TV coverage and start with Channel 9. So the summer didn't start well for Channel 9 when they drew the ire of punters when they revealed their commentary lineup for the Ashes and it was all white men. Now, I think the reaction to that photo and that lineup, to me, showed a significant shift in what the, the public wants when they listen to the cricket, that they want now a variety of voices, male and female, to bring different views of the game in. Do you think I'm right on that? Absolutely, because they've been the same lineup, you know, pretty much for 30 years, and it's never caused any um, major controversy like it did this year. And I, I think it's time for a change. I think that we do need a, at least one female voice in there, preferably more than one. If you're expecting 50% of the population to want to watch the game and you're saying but you can't ever have a voice in the game, that just seems that seems wrong. And I think that whoever takes over next year will um, finally have some females in there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the host of Channel 9 should be a female. I know Mark Nicholas did a terrific job, yes. I think the host has got to be a female. Because the only female commentator who I think capable of taking the role is Mel Jones. I don't think there's anyone as yet who's I ready. Lisa Stalake. Not quite ready for, for, for that level. In I Gav's mean, opinion. Well, no, I don't think so. I think Mel Jones has got to... You could, see, you've got to have a different voice as well. And as Paul correctly pointed out, we might have had those typical five or six white guys standing there. But there's different voices there. There was Tony Gregg, there was Bill Laurie. There's no one who has those different voices now. <laughs> Come on, man. They're just more white guys. I mean... I, I disagree on that. I think that there would be probably about 500,000 women in Australia who could do the job. It's not that hard. What? To commentate on the Test cricket. There'd be... Um, I don't think it. I think that it's. Um, you get loads of people who could call you the just, game and do a just, really good job. You just talk about what's in front of you. It's not that hard. No, I think that. Um, I, I Gav's just, not happy. I also think that it would be good to start to reintroduce the concept of bringing in uh, at least one commentator from the visiting side. I know they had that to an extent yeah. with Michael Vaughan this summer, but next year it would be great to have Sanjay Mandraka coming out with India and um, you know Russell Arnold coming out with with Sri Lanka as well to really broaden things. <laughs> Please know Russell. I think you should start listening to a lot of commentary. Oh, I Russell all the he's, time. he's awful, I reckon. He, he's just got. He's trying to crack jokes and he's got no idea. I he, really he, like it. He's absolutely pathetic. Wouldn't you say, though, that Channel 9 did listen to that outcry? Because Lisa Stalaker all of a sudden ended up on the cricket show every lunchtime for Channel 9, when I don't know if that was planned before the summer. Also, a couple of things that stand out from Channel 9, they had Hugh Jackman appear, that everyone sort of got really happy that there was a bit of Hollywood in the box. They had Malcolm Turnbull appear. Everyone, That's the real Malcolm Turnbull, not the funny one on Triple M. <laughs> um one thing that stood out for me is there's too much Kevin Peterson and Michael Clark on the Channel 9 coverage. They were unlikable people when they played cricket, and I think they're just as unlikable now that they're in the commentary box. I wouldn't go that hard, but I think <laughs> I, I tend I, I know what you, where you're coming from. I think both of them have a lot of interesting things to say about cricket, and I think they think about the game well. Yep. And I think that mm, I agree in that. You know, hearing them on on certain issues, I would I would, I would enjoy, but. To your point, what you want the commentary team to be is sort of like old friends, trusted friends that you're inviting into your living room. And sometimes maybe uh, I can see how that you'd sort of feel that they start to grade a little bit, especially KP. And can we just throw out this notion that you just pick the best cricketers as commentators? Oh, so absolutely. often the most interesting people are not the best cricketers. You yep. look at the channel... 10 lineup, yep. say Damien Fleming. Well, he didn't play a load of test matches, but he's a very good commentator. You know, Channel 9 should look at bringing in more people like that to spice up their coverage than just look at who captained Australia and giving them a job. I always think it'd be funny if life went in the reverse order and you then applied the same logic now that they would only... So it, Cricket commentators were chosen on who was the best journalist and who was the best broadcaster. And then suddenly when it was time to play the game, would you then have Jim Maxwell playing for Australia as a, as a matter of course? Yeah. Of course you wouldn't. Exactly. Um, so by the exact same logic, um, you know, 
clearly the three of us should be in, in the in the commentary box next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, Andrew Simons is a good example on Channel Ten. Uh, I think he's terrific. I mean, he might be just he just can't make terrific's a strong word. I mean, I like what he does. I mean, he's only there for four games, but when he's on for four games, he doesn't become sort of monotonous like what Michael Clark and Kevin Peterson. Because every time you see someone play a shot, you know what Kevin Peterson's going to say after hearing him for three test matches. Well, Andrew Simons, he does those games in Perth, and you're like, yep, these are different. That's all. Get on with it. Yeah, he's, he's fine, but there would be dozens of people who never played the game at the highest level who would be better. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I, I think Paul's right. Um, all right, now... <laughs> But I do think, though, that a lot of the general public want to hear from ex-players. Yeah. So yes. you have to have a mixture. Um, I think let's move on now to the Channel 10 commentary. Again, great coverage of the Big Bash. I think everyone's pretty happy with Channel 10. Uh, some of the highlights, Gus the Goose came on for the Channel 10 coverage, sort of um, sporadically appeared throughout the summer. I think, uh, you know, they, they pretended that he was sporadic, but I think they had a very very sophisticated algorithm behind it, that if the six wasn't high enough, long enough, Gus didn't come out. But, uh, you know, when, when you saw straight away that there wasn't the measurement, there was a sense of excitement. Oh, this must mean that Gus the Goose is going to come out. Maybe I watched it too much with my three-year-old, who she absolutely loved Gus the Goose. I liked Gus the Goose. He grew on me. Um, then you spoke about Andrew Simons. He brought a real fielding analysis to the coverage. And the, the, the funny thing I enjoyed about that was just watching Simon struggle with his own system. Like he came yeah, up with his system, well, that, yet he didn't know how to use it. Well, yeah, that was the beauty of it. And, and the thing is, out of those 40 Big Bash matches, he wasn't doing all 40 of them. That's why you're like, you, you probably watched Simon's once or twice and you thought, here we go, oh, he's going to come up with That's good, I reckon. I don't need to have him for 40 games and then it becomes, oh my God, he's had this again which is what you don't want to hear. So I thought that was good. I mean, drawing little tallies and so forth. That's the beauty of Andrew Simons. I don't know if anyone learned anything, though. I mean, <laughs> at the end of every game, we seem to, yeah, they were minus one. That was a standard answer. All right, uh, the players were mic'd up again. I still don't like the players being mic'd up. And I'm just waiting for the time that they're talking to one of the players on the field and a catch comes and they drop it. And you see so often now that they talk while the ball's going on. The the well, field is talking and the they're, they're in play. Well, the, the 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 more I think Kevin Peterson came out to bat at the Gabba once, and I think it was in the first over, and I think it might have been Howard or might have been Ponting who was on air, and he said so. You call it, him Howard, Howie, Howie. Yeah. That's um, the formal nickname. Formal Hello, nickname. Howard. And, and he said, uh, "Well, is is the ball swinging? Um, how's he bowling? What's the speed?" You can't ask that to the commentators. That's yes, just wrong. Yes, you can. No, you yes, can't. Yes, you can. It's not. That, well, that's where ICC, it's, it's outside the ICC current rules. Whether that's wrong or not, it's look, a, I think it makes entertaining TV. Yeah. I love it. Uh, but it's outside the ICC protocols at the moment. Well, yeah, but it's a, it, was, it wasn't that bad. It was a throwaway line. It was, And look, Manners, to your point, I don't particularly love when they're mic'd up either, but it's not about us. It's about making yep. it entertaining for the new fans, and I think it does. I, I was watching some of the A-League the other day. There was an, a magnificent save that someone had done, and I thought if this was the Big Bash, they would now talk to that guy about the save. Wouldn't interest me, but it would really draw a viewer into the game. Um, and I thought the most entertaining piece all year was when Brad Hodge was wired up before he came out to bat to face Mitchell Johnson, and he was endearingly candid about how terrified he was and how fast Mitchell Johnson was bowling. And you could see how visibly nervous he was, and he was saying, I want Mitchell Johnson's spell to be over before I go out to bat. I thought that was one of the more entertaining things I've seen. Then he went out and got his stumps scattered by Mitchell Johnson straight away. So, so That wasn't that- scripted? No, it wasn't scripted at all. He was watching. He was sitting there watching, and you could tell that he did not want to be there. But he was being, he was gutsing it out, and and and, and you know, and it was like an insight into this is what it's like to sometimes inside be into going a forty-five-year-old who should have quit. I have to say, the on-field <laughs> mic'd-up things are better than the sideline interviews. They are always so bad. Those sideline interviews when they go up to the cricketer just after he's got out, and, and yeah, ask, I, oh, how, how did you feel about getting out today? Yeah, yeah they're, they're full of cliches. Yeah, and I hate having that, you know, having that camera right in your face after you've been dismissed. It's just... The, what, what I like about it is that there was a resurgence of it, that that was pioneered in 1977, <laughs> and the first sideline interview that they did with a batsman dismissed was Ian Chappell, and he just told them to get lost, and they then shelved it for four decades. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think there'd be a few candidates for saying that now. I think now they just they get the body language of the player, and if the player storms off, they realise that he yeah. doesn't want to talk. And I always like when Kevin Peterson gets dismissed, and <laughs> he immediately rips the microphone um, out because he's not. He's making it very clear we're not going to have any banter as I walk off. But I think again that shows how serious the players still, you know, the players are about it. It's pretty. It would cool. be nice if Ros Kelly walked up to Matty Wade after he'd been run out for a diamond duck and dropped down the order <laughs> in the, the final and just. How's your day going? All right, so I think as well, uh, Damien Fleming's Wicked of Truth was a highlight of the Big Bash's um, coverage this year. He got he seemed to get people on and then think that that would then make them more successful as cricketers. Um, I don't know if there's any direct correlation there. Maybe, Paul, you can do an analysis of that in the off-season. I always missed the wicket of truth because I was always so time poor that I'd always be um, <laughs> often half an hour delayed. I just fast forwarding through. So I've heard the wicket of truth all season. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> all right. Now let's move on to the radio coverage uh, critique. Let's start with ABC. There was Man, this- you might start it off because you were, you were high praise for them in that article you wrote. Well, I just said the ABC has the most to lose in the radio wars, but I actually think the ABC bounced back this summer exceptionally well. Look, they had the shock departure of Jared Waitley after 13 years. Uh, he gave his notice and they said, well, don't come back. He didn't even do the Sydney test when rumours and, and perhaps I've heard that he offered to do it for free. The Sydney test just to, so you could say goodbye to the listeners, but they went tell your story, walking pal. What do you think about that? I always like Jared Waitley. I mean, I don't get to listen to the radio as much these days because now with cricket on, with the ability to pause live TV, if I was ever going to be driving um, and I'd listen to it on the radio, I'd now just pause it and I'd watch it when I get back home. But I always thought he was a pretty good caller, and I think that the coverage would be would be poorer without him. Uh, look, I. I... I just don't think cricket's his primary sport as a caller. I think there's better people out there. I think he did the job after Jim wasn't able to take over. I think he became that primary sort of ABC caller. I thought he did the job quite well. I think they need to move on to the next generation, and I think they're heading down that path of having people like Alistair Nicholson, who's doing a good job. Uh, Corbett Middlemass is a good caller. I think they need to move on. They've been in that transition for a long time. You had the Jim Maxwell's and the Jared's and um, there's so many. I mean, sadly, Drew Morfitt's no more as well. They had all these, and I think they're going to move on to the next generation. I think that's probably the time has come for ABC to go towards that, uh, in that direction. Yeah, I thought the ABC had a good summer of coverage. I think the BBC and the English commentators that come over and slip in uh, and do sessions really livened up the coverage. You know, Agnew, Alison Mitchell. I thought James Anderson did a great job for the One Day Internationals on the ABC. You know, you can say what you like about James Anderson. He wasn't a popular figure for Australian fans, but he's a very good commentator and very likeable. He's he's very honest. He's, he's personable. Um, so maybe we were a little bit wrong about Jimmy. I think he gave a different insight, and it's always nice to have a player who's just played the game recently. I thought even might have been one-day cricket, but he, because they probed him in a sense that how's Joe Root like when the situation's not going his way? All those little things that the listeners want to hear, I think he was good in that terms of so. Yeah, I liked actually listening to him. I was a couple of times I was doing the long drive, and I listened to about three hours of the ABC, and I thought, especially in the one-day format when they had Jimmy Anderson they had someone like Charles Dagnall coming on different sort of voice I think I really enjoyed that test cricket there's just so many channels to listen to at the moment I think we have the luxury of tuning from one to another perhaps if the game's in that in that holding pattern or Australia's completely annihilating you don't want to hear you know your constant analysis kind of way because the game's just going in one direction that's when we've had the luxury of switching different codes um, a different channel, should I say. So I think they've been okay. I thought the one date. Should the ABC even continue to cover cricket? I mean, if you've got all these commercial network networks that are prepared to cover the cricket, should the Aussie taxpayer pay the, for the coverage? Um, siphoning? Yeah, definitely they should. No, I don't think it's part of, I don't no. think there is such a thing. But, oh, I think it'd be a great shame if the ABC stopped covering cricket, given that they've done it, um, you know, since uh, the 1920s. Um, it would be... It would be terribly sad if they stopped doing it, and I think that whatever the Australian taxpayer pays for it would be a pittance. I think that it's not quite as good as it once was. There was a period for maybe I'm just being nostalgic, but there was a period 15 years ago where 
the most boring test match, if I turned on the ABC radio, I would just enjoy listening to them talk. I don't not enjoy listening to them talk now, but I don't think they can elevate it to greatness if the game doesn't have it. And maybe that's just me needing to get used to the new commentators. I'm not sure. All right, next one, Triple M. Now, Triple M offers a different style of coverage than most uh, classic coverages. You know, there's humour. They have three people on for every session, usually caller, an expert, and then like a comedian. I thought that it was a bit hit and miss throughout the summer, that some combinations are really good and others are pretty unlistenable. I really didn't listen to them enough, but across the whole, actually, one of the things that I'd be slightly critical of of the radio broadcast is that there's not as much of a focus on the individual ball and instantly by your voice communicating whether something exciting's happened or not. There's a few too many instances where... And he's flicked that one off his pads deep in. Oh, and he's been caught on the boundary. Like that, that you're, you're sort of listening to it and every instinct you have as a cricket listener is to think, oh, well, this is going to be one. There's nothing significant happening here. And I, I think that there needs to be more, a little bit more skill applied to the actual ball by ball and recognising you know, the listeners not actually seeing it. I'd say that across the, the, the board of all the stations. And that takes a lot of time to sort of develop. I mean, you just look at likes of Jimmy Maxwell telling all these stories and how he did sort of five, six years of shield cricket at back in the 70s or 80s where you had to do ball by ball and then you just know when to cut someone off or you just know when to raise your voice. It, it's a dedicated skill. It's not just jumping on and just talking for you know an hour and a half. Yeah, I thought the Triple M were able to encapsulate the vibe of the ground. They, yep. t- they obviously turn the effects mics up and they sort of make you feel like you're sitting with some people at the cricket what I did like about Triple N is they seem to have a big cast. They had like they seem to be pulling. You know, Mark Wall was in there one day. The next day to be Merv Hughes. They seem to have be able to get draw on a, a big pile of resources, which I guess that adds to the interest because you're not quite sure who you're going to hear that day, which adds to the um, variety of voices. The the final. Australian radio station to cover the cricket was Macquarie Radio. Now, this is a hard one to find. This is the strange thing. I quite like their coverage, but if I were to say, tell you, Paul, where to listen to it, I wouldn't TUA be able to. Easy. But I don't think it was on <laughs> TUE954 the whole time because well, I, exactly, I went there a couple of times and wasn't there. I think yeah. they have a few stations. So then you go to their digital thing and that's where I think you lose a lot of people. If yeah. it's hard to find... That's when they'll just put on the ABC or Triple M because it's and digital. On the dial. Uh, you find there's that slight delay, and if you're on Channel Nine, you can't. I mean, I don't know about how, what the statistics are, but most people are not able to pause Channel Nine and to be able to sync it. That's the big challenge with radio. Uh, that's what people like to do if you're in a car, different things. But I think growing up, I would always be sync the ABC with the Nine. Was almost in sync with each other, and you can listen to it. You can't do that with all these digital channels coming up. Anyway, I think Macquarie Radio do a pretty good job. Tim Lame, Bruce Eva, yeah. Damien Fleming, Hussey McGrath. They, they give good coverage. It's just, you know, if you can't find it, then not many people are going to listen to it. It is good that we've got three networks broadcasting shows that, I mean, for a long time, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, 2UE did it, and then they stopped. And for a long, long time, it was ABC only. So I think it's a reflection of how cricket, which was never unpopular, has increased in popularity that there, there are now three networks wanting to do it. I think the the funny thing that was came out at the Sydney Test is I think people have forgotten what a real radio is because they were announcing that you know if you wanted to listen to the cricket while you watched the cricket at the ground that your phone app wouldn't work because it's on a, a delay that you had to use a real radio and I think a lot of the millennials didn't even know what they were talking <laughs> about. Like, is there an app on my phone or what, what's this dial you talk about? Well, it's true. And that's something that is uh, something Cricket Australia should fix because, um, I mean, no one under the age of about 70 would have a real radio anymore. I wouldn't have thought, you know, like a transistor radio. Yeah, I've got a special one just for the cricket. cricket. My <laughs> kids don't even know what it is. They're like, what are you using, Daddy? <laughs> All right, now that was our commentary critique for the summer. Let's move on now to the cricket Headlines. There have been a few cricket headlines in the last week. Jackson Bird has been ruled out of the Australian Test squad to go to South Africa. In comes Chad Sayers. They really had to pick Chad Sayers, but a bit of a shame for Bird that he misses out on the tour. Yeah, I feel sorry for Jackson Bird. He's had a wonderful Shield season, and all he's going to be remembered for this season is 
his poor performance at the MCG test match on a pitch that, um, you know, uh, maybe <laughs> worst pitch a, we've ever had. Yeah, a, a ball machine at 160 kil- kilometres an hour mightn't have done very well. So hopefully he can find a way to, to bounce back. It's going to be very hard for him to get back in the Australian side with just the, the huge amount of uh, fast bowling quality we've got, though. Well, I mean, Chad says has had to go. I think if, if we're going to see similar pitches to what South Africa dished out for India, I think Chad Sayers is just the right person to be picked. It's going to be difficult. I think two pitches are uh, two test matches are in Durban and Port Elizabeth. Generally, they're, they're a lot slower than what you might expect in 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 a Cape Town or Joburg. But uh, I mean, Sayers had to go. I mean, this is what we got to be careful. If we see a rank absolute seamer there. Do you? Which one of the bowlers can we leave out? Because we made this error. In England in 2015, where I think Siddle had to play, and mm. it took them four test matches to figure out that Siddle had to play. If we get a green seamer where, you know, 220 is a good score, where it's just about putting the ball in the same place, I don't know, does, does Cummins play? Does, does Stark play? Of course, play? Cummins plays. I'm Cummins just putting it out there. Stark I'm just, have to play. It's a very good point that, that Gav makes, though, because it, that exactly happened in 2015. The first two tests were fairly flat. In the third test, they made an absolute raging seamer, and that was when Siddle had to play. And had Siddle played that third test match, he would have done really well. They didn't recognise that he um, needed to play until the fourth one. You know, Vernon Philander is a massively successful yeah. bowler in South African conditions. Sayers has a little bit of Vernon Philander about him. I suppose you could say that if it's going to be a pitch where Philander takes seven for 20, maybe someone like Sayers um, should could come take into six the side. for 40, yeah. The only thing that I would say about Sayers is that it's a pity that, he, he, you know, this season hasn't been his best. He only averaged about 32 this season after having a tremendous season last year. So certainly can't quibble with him being selected, but he's not quite in the form that he was. Yeah, you always like to get picked when you're in form. Now, let's look at the Sheffield Shield. A round has just been completed, the first round after the Big Bash break. There have been wins for Victoria, Queensland and Western Australia. Queensland are on top of the table. But what's interesting is that there is only 10 points separating the first place and the last place. So they really will be a, a tough fight right to the end for the final two spots. Some standout performances from the last round. Luke Feldman took nine wickets for Queensland. Peter Hanscom scored a century, which is perfect timing as he heads to South Africa. Cameron White scored a century. Former Australian coach Tim Nielsen's son, Harry Nielsen, scored a shield century on debut. Mitch Marsh took four for 50 versus New South Wales. So he's back to bowling form after injuring a shoulder. Matty Wade took three wickets for Tasmania. I, I think we've joked on the show before about him tossing off the gloves to become an all-rounder. Well, it might be happening. And he took three wickets. And that sort of leaves the shield delicately balanced with four rounds to go. He had an amusing um, comment on that, Matthew Wade. According to George Bailey, he was proudly proclaiming himself as the world's first five-dimensional cricketer. That he um, he bats, he keeps, he can field in the outfield, he can bowl quick, and he rates his leg spinners as well. <laughs> and he's sledging. Yeah, he's six-dimensional. Six <laughs> but there was an interesting um, debate to come out of the last Shield round. So for the last five rounds of the Sheffield Shield, they're using the English Dukes ball. And all uh, all reports I've heard is that it stays a lot shinier and a lot harder for longer. It actually has an extra coat of lacquer than the English Dukes ball because of the harder wickets here. And the ball swings for almost the whole 80 overs. Now, George Bailey, this is what he said after the last round. I think the Dukes is a better cricket ball at the moment to the one Kookaburra is producing. That's what George Bailey said. But Nathan Lyons said, I'm a big fan of the Kookaburra ball and I'm a big fan that if there's something in the wicket for it to be a fair contest between bat and ball. So, you know, Lyons saying he thinks the importance should be placed on the pitches and how they're prepared. But George Bailey saying he likes the style of cricket produced by the Dukes ball. I think in principle, the Dukes ball is a good thing. Having seen the way our batsmen play against the swinging ball, it can only be a positive influence for our young, 
up-and-coming players to get used to bowling with a swinging ball and batting against a swinging ball. I agree. And I think to, in Nathan Lyon's defence, I think he was mainly meaning he would like to be bowling with the Kookaburra because that's what he's going to be bowling with in, in South Africa. So he'd like to be... Um, and I think it's harder to grip the Duke's ball, I heard Jeff Lawson for saying, for the spinners, because it's shinier. Yeah. The interesting thing, what Bailey went on to say after that was that even though the Duke's ball was causing um, uh, the batsmen some trouble, it doesn't uh, give any decent practice for what they're going to encounter in England because the conditions are in, in England are so different that the, the way that the Duke ball swings in Australia doesn't really bear any resemblance to it. I would have liked them to probe him further on that because, I mean, swing is swing, surely. I think it's a great idea and I think that we should be doing everything we can because as things stand, we'll go to England in 2019 and they will produce some green seamers, uh, which might backfire on them because our bowling attack will be pretty good, but it'd be nice for our batsmen to be prepared. In principle, I think what Paul said is absolutely spot on, but... I like to keep the Australian traditions. If we've got, why is it that in the old times, the Pontings and the Martins and whoever, or Haydens, were able to adjust their games? That's because of the nature of the surfaces. But I think back then, a lot of Australian players went over and played county cricket and they've changed that situation. It's a lot harder for Aussies to go over there, especially if you're not in the Aussie side. And there's less time for players now in the Aussie side. Yeah, and, 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 and the nature of the pitches and maybe we do need to move in that direction because the nature of pitches are totally different now. It's The whack is not what it used to be. The SCG is no longer what it used to be. Neither is, shouldn't even comment about Melbourne at the moment, but, but the gap is not that green, lively deck as what we always had. I mean, so because every Shield player went to different locations and was able to adapt, we don't have that anymore. We're becoming so single, one-dimensional, we're dropping pitches, so... As Paul rightly alluded, maybe in principle, we also need to change the ball. I think it's great that when some of these players get picked for Australia and play in England and the ball starts to swing around, they will be able to look back at the experiences they've had in shield cricket and adjust their game. And I also think it's getting uh, harder because I, I think that the cricket boards are influencing pitch preparation more than they once did, that uh, the, the, the third and fourth wickets pitches in the 2015 Ashes seem to be two of the greenest wickets that I've seen in a, in a long time. So we've really got to get ready for it. I'm really impressed that Mitch Marsh is foregoing the riches of the IPL and is, is playing county cricket this winter. I think that's fantastic. Cricket Australia should reward him for that financially and induce others to do the same. What, yeah, with two and, million? And, and, and as you rightly pointed out, people going over and play. And the county season back then used to be a lot more competitive. And we just see that when Australia go to the Ashes next year. I don't know what the plans are. But when we went 2015, we're playing a Division Two teams on flat pitches. And they're playing their second 11. Absolutely. So. In the south, when the, then we need yeah. to be in the north. and you know. All right, so that was headlines. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back with the AB medal results and Can't Let It Go. It's been nice to, to have been able to stand up in sort of high-pressure situations. Um, you know, that's when you want your, your leaders to stand up and, and do the job. So, you know, I'm satisfied with, with my performances in, in the test arena over the last year. Um, you know, I think I've come a long way and... Um, certainly my, my mental state's been in a really good place and um, yeah, hopefully I can keep improving as well. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. That was Steve Smith speaking about his Allen Border medal win and I'm here with Gav and Paul and I want to quickly touch on the Allen Border medal uh, that took place on Monday night in Melbourne. Allen Border medal winner Steve Smith, Belinda Clark winner Elise Perry, Interestingly, both of those won by a substantial margin. Uh, Smith had almost 100 votes or 84 votes between him and David Warner and Elise Perry, almost 40 votes between her and Beth Mooney in second. So runaway winners and fitting winners. Uh, But look, I want to pay tribute to Norman O'Neill who passed away in 2008, 10 years ago, but he was inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Had the good fortune of working with Norman O'Neill, cricket coaching for quite a long time. And he was a fantastic man, fantastic cricket brain. He was so good with all the kids. And I can't think of a more worthy individual to go into the Hall of Fame than Norman O'Neill. You know, unfortunately died of throat cancer. And I, I just remember him telling the stories about the cigarette companies that had come and, you know, give them cartons of cigarettes God. To, to promote their product and uh, just what a different world it was back then. And What about those evil people? Exactly. <laughs> so 
Anyway, sad to that Norman passed away prematurely to throat cancer, but a fantastic career and fully deserves to be in the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame and, and a lovely man. Yeah, he was one of those cricketers that I think he almost the first person that had the tag applied to them of the next Bradman and almost that was a bit of a albatross around his neck early on that he, he did really well at the start of his career, but obviously never lived up to, to the dawn. I was surprised looking at him that, that he averaged 45 in, in test cricket because hearing um, that you know, he didn't quite live up to expectations. I was expecting to look look him up and find that he averaged thirty five or something. So, averaging forty five, he probably um, he probably should have got more Test cricket than he did. So the great Norman O'Neill. I thought the AB medal went off pretty well last night. As as far as the AB medal goes, it was quite funny. George Bailey did a funny speech. Uh, Michael Slater was pretty witty. So all in all, a pretty good AB medal. Really, is the night of nights for cricket. All right, now let's finish this show with an old segment, Buddha Goody, which is Can't Let It Go. And then I'm going to ask the panellists what they can't let go from the week in cricket. Gav, you can start. I can't let go of the fact that there was a one-day international where India required two runs to win, and they went to lunch. I can't believe that. So the match referee, the umpires just said, yep, go off for 40 minutes and we'll come back, and then we'll finish off the match it took two balls i can't believe you can't be a little bit more practical um and stay out there it's the nature of cricket i mean yep. another day you'd do that under leaden skies and you'd say well no we will we'll finish it off now and then um they finish it off and then it absolutely pours with rain and the other side says well we you know wouldn't have been a match or yep. there's all sorts of corporate hospitality factors as well but yeah, it's cr- <laughs> yeah. cricket is cricket that they yep. you know the weirdest things happen in this sport and it can sometimes be infuriating I'd have left if that had been if I'd have been a punter. Paul, what can't you let go of from the week of cricket? Well, two things actually, man. It's very quickly one that this may have been the last broadcast ever by Channel Nine of uh, an international game of cricket in Australia. Hopefully, it's not. But the the media rights are up for grabs. It was a uh, sort of a not very high profile T Twenty match between Australia and England at the MCG. But after uh, forty years of being the, the the voice of the summer and all sorts of uh, memories with them. It would be, it'd be a, a big disappointment if that was their last involvement in the game. I hope that it's not. My other one is, what are they doing at Cricket Australia charging the amounts they are for the T20s? The, the ticket prices for this game, they ranged from you know, $130 at the top, $110, all sorts of ridiculous amounts. When David Warner made his debut in the T20 a decade ago and they got 80-something thousand people to the MCG, there was a palpable sense of excitement, and this is amazing, to suddenly then the other night have our old enemy there and huge sections of the ground empty. Well, you can't expect that if you're going to be charging exorbitant amounts and half the Australian side not available for selection. Cricket Australia need to do something about that. Can I just ask one question? T20, 50 over cricket and test cricket, you've got one day. If you're sitting in general admission, which format should have the cheapest tickets? Well, T20 should. Yeah, uh, T20 should because it's the shortest. But there shouldn't be a big gap between the T20 and the 50-over games. And Test cricket should still... Should be a little bit more, but they they charge a lot for Test every cricket. game and, and almost too much. And what I don't like is that when they do reduce the prices, they reduce the general admission and sort of say, oh, well, you know, we, we, our cheapest tickets are yeah. quite good. Going to a day of general admission at Test match is a day is a recipe for a horrible day because yep. you're in the sun for eight hours. If you yeah. if it rains, you get wet, and at, at the low level, you don't really get a great view of the game. I think they need to make the more expensive tickets more of more affordable. Um, but I've been saying it for ages, and they never seem to. Yeah, hundred and thirty dollars to sit up in the Victor Trumpet stand for a day of Test cricket. No, you can't. That's one hundred and eighty. Um, I was talking about the T the, twenty. The, the I'd dream of one hundred and thirty to sit um, up there. We paid one hundred and eighty dollars for our tickets um, for, for each day of the Test match, and we're happy to because we're lunatics. But there are <laughs> there are loads of people out there um, who just would look at that and say that's ridiculous. I'm never yeah. going to you know I'm not going to pay that amount of money to watch a, to watch cricket. All right, now I've got a couple of can't let it goes. The are two really, and I guess this talks about, we've talked about the summer ending, and I sort of thought, oh, my cricket viewing might go down and there wouldn't be much quality <laughs> cricket to watch on TV. Well, I was mistaken because uh, last weekend on cable television in Australia that they covered the Hong Kong Blitz so I could watch some very average T20 players <laughs> playing a very average competition for four days. But you'd be surprised, you know, when you've been watching the Big Bash, it, it did serve a purpose, but... Then to top it all off, 
the Hong Kong Blitz just ran straight into the Ice Cricket Challenge. <laughs> so you had Shoab Akhtar, Andrew Simons, Mike Hussey, Jacques Callas, all these legends of the game embarrassing themselves on a frozen lake in St. Moritz, Switzerland, uh, playing this ice cricket with this sort of on an AstroTurf pitch, they couldn't use spikes as they'd grip in the pitch, so they were slipping and sliding everywhere. I don't know what kind of ball they were using, but it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It was beautiful, though, wasn't it? I mean, whenever they'd pan back and you think, how stunning is this scenery? I'd love to go there and not, not watch cricket. I'd love to go there. I and- would have been stunned by it, but I was in Queenstown, so I wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the same weather there, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> We should pick a random country somewhere and start a T20 league and then pitch it to the ICC that we'd, you know, this is the official Namibian T20 and we'd like to get some Desert money. cricket. <laughs> some <laughs> money, thank you. <laughs> so that's I can't let go of ice cricket and the Hong Kong blitz um, that sort of quelled my sadness about the end of the cricket season. Well, I think we're running out of time for Cricket Unfiltered this week. Gav, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Good to be back. And you're heading over to the IPL and the Australian women's team. Uh, yeah, tour women's of India. first in about a month's time. Three one days and a tri series involving Australia, England, and India, which I think are the three best uh, teams going around in women's cricket and two different formats. So, really look forward to a bit of revenge to get back at India after um, they punted us out of the World Cup um, in, in June earlier this year. So, I think it's going to be a really promising series will be and paul thanks for coming in what's up for you now we're looking forward to the australian tour of south africa i think australia will clean sweep south africa in the test series i'm not going to deny it because we sat here 12 months ago and (laughs) you and i menas and a lot of our listeners possibly we said india gonna beat australia 4-0 now this man he said no i think australia's it's going to be a really close series he in fact tipped australia to win 2-1 and we should have won 2-1. Um, so people might be laughing at 4-0. But it could or, happen. Or he might have used up his luck as well. <laughs> so we'll only know. Last time South Africa beat Australia in South Africa was 1970. Well, listeners, thank you so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. Remember, rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. And we'll be back next week with another show. Yeah.